Welcome to episode 120. Today we have Janine Alice, the story of Boost Juice. Welcome to the Herpreneur Show, where we talk women, business, life. I am your host, Annette Lakovich. I'm an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mum, and I'm a fitness fanatic who loves to dance. What I also love to do is help you reach your fullest potential in business, health, and happiness. Join me as I bring you life-changing interviews, world-class education that helps you continue to up-level your next stage in greatness. It's your time to shine. Let's do it. Today's episode, I hope you walk away with two feelings, two knowings, two beliefs. The first one is to believe yourself, believe the ideas, believe the ideas, the downloads that are coming to you and execute them straight away before the fear and the doubt kick in. Because the longer you take to execute something, the higher chance you're not going to go ahead and do it. The second thing is to question everything, even if you're scared of the no. And that's actually how this interview comes around today. In 2013, I decided I wanted to create the Living Legend series where I interview these incredible celebrity status entrepreneurs such as Janine Alice, Boost Juice, Michelle Bridges, who was famous at that time for The Biggest Loser, Naomi Simpson, who was Telstra Businesswoman of the Year, also known for Red Balloon Days, $100 million company, and many others. When I was sending that email out, I honestly believed that I was going to get no's everywhere, though I knew if I didn't do it, the answer's always going to be no, so I had nothing to lose. To my surprise, every single one of them said yes. However, they all thought that it was going to be face-to-face interviews on camera. So I just ran with it, organized myself a little camcorder and a a microphone, which broke down on Naomi Simpson's interview. Though, you know what? I just did it. And the naivety of not knowing what you don't know allows you just to go out there and to do it. To this day, those videos are on my YouTube page. And the one with Janine Alice, which you were here... I was invited to interview her at Retail Zoo. Now, I don't know how many opportunities you've had where it requires you to travel some distance. It requires you to invest in yourself, to back yourself. I remember there was a client, it was my first biggest client contract that I had the opportunity to close. And it was taking me too long to close him. It was like nearly nine months in. Every time I called him, he was saying, yes, I'm keen, but it's not the right time. I realized his behavior style, he's a people person and he's a fast decision maker. So I just bit the bullet and I rang and I said, Julia, I'm going to be in Queensland next week. Why don't we organize a time to catch up and I'm going to show you the different types of training we can do. He actually said to me, great. When do you fly in? Because I can pick you up from the airport and take you to my office and you can meet the team. And I said, that'd be great. I was only flying up there for him. Little did he know. And guess what? I got the deal as I was driving to his office, already closed him. If you really want something, go the distance. Outdo what someone else will do. My sister-in-law just got this incredible job with a mining company It's a $300,000 salary. Not bad. (laughs) COVID lockdown was happening, but she was the only one that said, I would love to do the interview face-to-face. I'm more than happy to come in with a mask. And guess what? Who got the job out of five? She did. 
It's going the distance, asking yourself, what are you prepared to do to get the outcome? Not being scared of the no. And that's how this interview came around. A couple of announcements before we go into the interview. The first one is the three incredible interviews that are coming up. We have the founder and CEO of Marketing to Mums interviewing Katrina McCarter on her book about the mother of all opportunities. We have the emotional intelligence guru, Amy Jacobson, who had her book published by Wiley last year, and she's going to be coming on the show. And then Sam Wills, who is now just created the book, Dust of Gold, and we find out her story, how she closed down her $10 million jewelry business. The Herpreneur Show is brought to you by Convert Club. This is where I help you learn how to close your deals, how to close your sales. If you find that you get really nervous in the sales process and it requires you to talk, you have to have a conversation with your prospect, with your potential client, with your potential, with your potential customer, though your nerves get the better of you or you know you want to raise your prices but you're scared you're going to lose the sale. Anything to do with selling? verbally. I'm your go-to girl. Reach out to me so you can find out more about Convert Club. Don't suffer in your business alone and let that dream slip through your fingers because once you learn how to build that revenue and your profit, you'll be so thankful that you bit that bullet and really dedicated yourself in growing your business to the level you know it needs to be at. So today we're going to hear an interview from 2013 with Janine Alice. Today we know Janine Alice as the founder of Boost Juice, part owner of Retail Zoo, also been seen on many TV shows such as Celebrity Apprentice, Shark Tank and Australian Survivor. She's the author of five books and today we're going to hear about the actual journey of Boost Juice from when she started it from the home, how she actually got investors on board, how she grew it to a multi, multi-million dollar business, though also the lessons and the due diligence that she did in her business. It is a textbook full of learning for you. Enjoy. Thanks for having me. And I don't know if I'm quite old enough to be a legend. Don't you have to be dead to be a legend? Not in my eyes. <laughs> Everyone sees Boost Juice and we'll talk about some of your other your companies as well that you've got going. But everyone sees these brands and they're out in the marketplace and people think, oh, they've had it easy and they've just, you know, suddenly become, you know, this booming success overnight. And I can imagine, I have heard some of the interviews and some of your stories in the past that, you know, it started off with one, one store in Adelaide. So can you take us all the way back to the start, how it actually got off the ground, what you actually did, who were you back then? And um, then we'll go from there. Sure. Okay, look, it started with a lot of women, I think, get to a point in their life where they go, do I want to work for someone anymore? And, you know, my husband was in radio. His his job was actually on the line at one point when Triple M bought his station, which he was working for with Old Stereo. And so I had just given birth to our second child. And we sort of had a time when we went, what do we want to do? And it was a time where I said, okay, well, I'll start with the business. Well, let's do a business and we'll work out what that is. Mm-hmm. And he can continue to work and you know, pay the bills. And so because we, we knew at the time, we didn't know what we know now, but we knew at the time that really to get a business started, you, know, you can't think of a salary, you can't think of a return for a while. You know, you really need to throw your blood, sweat and tears into it. Um, so really it started with 
looking at businesses, what do we want to do? So we looked at publishing. We, we toured a lady called Ching Ning Chu with a book called um, Asia Mind Game, which was about doing business with Asia. Uh, and then we looked at creating our own book called Love Checks, which was a uh, novelty book that you gave to people and instead of giving them flowers, you give them yourself. Like, I can't be the designated driver and you sign it or I'll do a strip oh, tease now. Or, yeah. I, I, yeah. I know, yes. <laughs> so we did, we did that. And look, what we found was publishing was really tough. It was a really hard, put all your money in six months later if you, and anyone out there who's in publishing, good luck to you because it's a tough, tough industry. So look, we, we looked at various concepts and look, it came with a, a trip to the States with my husband mm-hmm. in, I think, 1998. And when we were over there, we saw the category over there called the juice and smoothie market. And when I went and had a look at them, I did not really like the look and feel of their particular stores, but I love the category. And in Australia, we really didn't have anything here. Like, you know, there was sort of a couple of brands calling healthy something, but you went in, there was chips and pies. So it didn't have the integrity. And I always go back as a customer. What do I want as a customer? And it got went back to, I want something genuinely healthy, something fast, and something that tastes great. You know, and served with great customer service because yeah. customer service in, in Australia, even now, has a lot to be desired. So with that, we went and actually looked at the the category over there and went like it, but came back and really with a blank piece of paper went, how do we want this to look? And in some respects, having no experience whatsoever in this space was a blessing because we didn't have any preconceived ideas. In actual fact, we just approached it purely as, I'm a customer, what do I want? Mm -hmm. And then from as a customer, what did I want? What, how are we going to market it and how do we go, we're going to go down that path? Now, luckily, my brain works in um, systems and processes, and which I didn't know that at the time, but I found, discovered it, thank God, I had that skill. And so it really started with, okay, um, I drew my first store and I um, worked out, even today, today, you know, 13 years on, we do still have the same systems in store that happened in day one. So you know, I got a few things right. I got a lot wrong, but I got a few things right. And so it was a matter of just really working on how can this work and how can we... So speed was really important, so... People couldn't be crossing, or and so people had stations. So it was it was all, and you know the freezer could only be so high. So mm-hmm. so if it's only so big, then how much can we fit into it? So then that dictated how many recipes we could have and the flavour. So it was all these uh, things you had to sort of all the logistics. Mm-hmm. So you went, yeah. okay, I have the big vision of the the strategy of having creating something that tastes great with great customer service, mm-hmm. and then the logistics came on board. And and look, the reality is there's a lot of people out there with great ideas. And the strategies are sound strategies, but the execution fails. So it's like you know, ninety percent execution, ten percent strategy and idea really is a successful business. Mm-hmm. So luckily, uh, I was involved. Well, luckily, I was involved with my husband because I married him. But um, he he had a very different brain to myself, and so he was very much into radio marketing and sort of had that sort of ability to sort of. sort of fill that hole. And even though I was a marketer, um, I was more of a practical marketer of of getting getting the exposure out there Mm -hmm. where he was more big picture. Mm -hmm. So, and he also being in radio, travelling around Australia, was able to do deals nationally. So he looked after the marketing and leasing and basically the rest was left to me. So, and he had a full-time job too. So we basically then um, 
just started. You know, you, you, we, he found one in Adelaide, which, you know, in hindsight wasn't the smartest thing in the world because I never lived in Adelaide. And we opened our first store in Adelaide and, you know, luck comes into it. Like it was, we, we were lucky enough and smart enough to also hire a fantastic first manager. Mm-hmm. And so she was managed to work in the store. And I think a lot of what happens to people is they tend to get so caught up in working in their store or working in their business, they never grow it. They never... So, in actual fact, even though in hindsight I would never recommend someone doing that, it worked well for me because it enabled me, for most of the time which I was in Melbourne, mm-hmm. to actually work on the store and continue to grow it. Right. So, it sort of was a... You know, it did actually work really well. So, that's how it sort of started. So, you... You actually worked on the business, not in the business in Adelaide, is that correct? Oh, look, I definitely worked in the business and, you know, I could whip up a smoothie like the best of them. So, you know, there was no question I did a lot of hours in store, yes. but, you know, I had three kids at the time or, yeah, three kids at the time in Melbourne and a life in Melbourne. So it was really much, you know, in Adelaide, yeah. a couple of days, back to Melbourne. So it was when I was in Melbourne was when you could get out of the store because really working in the store... Um, I learned what was wrong. So, okay, how's our customer service? What is the customer? Like, there's nothing like being at the front line serving customers to say, do they like it? Do they not like it? How do I fix that problem? Yeah. You know, what can we do about it? So, it was it was actually a perfect balance. You got the model right. Yep. And was right. the... Rightish, yeah. <laughs> Some of the foundations. Was it always the concept that you did want to just will dominate <laughs> with the juice bars or like what was sort of the, the steps that you actually had forecast ahead? Look, the one advantage of creating a, uh, your concept from another state is that the concept of or the thought of growing your business outside of the state was already gone because I already created a business outside of my own state. So it was like, okay, well, that wasn't a problem. So we just... Yeah, when we actually bought it, I think it was our fifth store came into Melbourne. So, oh so that was so that was just sort of how it sort oh, of party time. Yeah, it was. It's like actually, <laughs> actually, the, the worst thing about a store coming to Melbourne was that instead of being able to leave Adelaide and coming back to Melbourne to work, I was got caught more caught up in store oh, because yes. it was never right. It was never, and even to the, today, you look at a store and you're. Oh, there's just things that could, could do better. So I think that you're constantly in that form of how do we get better. Mm-hmm. Um, the thought of uh, global, look, you, you, we were focusing pretty much on Australia in the first instance. Now, we knew that the, the category was heating up and there was more and more players into the market and we felt that there was one or two players needed to get big, quick and safe. Uh, so it was really important for us to do great deals and have great relationships with the uh, landlords of the major shopping centres. And so we very quickly secured places in most of the shopping centres in Australia, probably within the first two years, which was great and a great strategy, but the execution of that was very difficult because, you know, you're, you're a brand new business, you've hardly got any staff, you're, you know, you're trying to work it out the, at the time. So in actual fact, it worked well, despite the fact that, you know, it was a lot of pressure on a very small team of people. Yeah. So your your whole goal at the start was, once you had that foundation right, it was really just trying to grow it as quickly as possible. Quickly and safely. And the biggest challenges we had was, all I had was that the business wasn't old enough to have people in the business long enough to know what they were doing fully. So it was that. So we really what we needed was passionately driven people that were, were quick learners that could go on their feet and work on the feet and, fault and solve all the problems that were coming up every day. And we did. We had a, and we did and do have a fantastic team yeah. that 
that actually achieved all those problems. Yeah, fixed all the problems as we went. So let's talk about the team because that's one thing. Like I actually remember my very first experience at Boost Juice and it was in Miranda Westfields in uh, New South Wales. And I remember they asked for my name. And a lot of you ladies know, it's I do sales training. And sales training covers customer service, leadership. It covers everything. And being asked my name, I thought, oh, well, this place has got it right. Because I had no idea it was a chain at that stage. And I thought... It just blew me away. So you were mentioning before, you know, Australia really, it's about that customer service. We've still got a lot of catching up to do. What was it that made you really start to hone into that? Where did you start to learn that experiences from? Because the only place I knew that I've ever experienced getting a name was Victoria's Secrets in America. And now I know that our law, not Lorna Jane, um, Lululemon catches your name now as well and it's so great because it's so personalised and in in your industry it's with the customer for 20 30 seconds so it's that instant rapport they've got to be able to get and how personal is it just being able to get that person's name like it's just instant success I loved it so how did those concepts come about the concepts come about as a consumer not as a business person. So what do I want? Do I want to be a number? Do I want to be 37? Or do I want them to ask ask me, Janine, where you are? Now, the other thing is, and it was also efficiency too, because two people come up and order a Mango Magic. Well, if someone goes to Magic, Mango Magic, someone gets mine, I'm standing there, I'm waiting any time. So it was a number of things was like, how do we define, how do we make it simpler? And also, how do we make it personal? How do we make it a bit of fun? Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people come up and go, you know, what's your name? I'm Gorilla. And then, you know, gorilla, gorilla, you know, so you, you sort of, yeah. So there's a lot of fun that can happen with it too. I love it. So it was just really going back onto that. And like it was, it's like we have rules in the business. Like mm-hmm. if someone waits too long, because you know what, the end of the, hap- the, end of the day in any business, shit happens. Mm-hmm. It just does, yeah. you know. Bananas don't get delivered when they're supposed to or machines break down or just things happen. So knowing that, it was important that, we had the ability to fix it or leave that person leaving with a good experience. Mm-hmm. So those are two things that were really important for me was that when things go wrong, I want to know about it. And when things go wrong, I wanted to fix it. And also when that person's pissed off, I want to turn a pissed off customer into a raving fan. Yeah. So they were our fundamentals of the business. So when someone rings up, types in an email saying that they're unhappy, normally starts like this, I'm never coming to Boost again, the girl has served me, blah, 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 all boys mm-hmm. serve me. And so we go, we don't really go, right, let's find out what happened. We just go, whatever they say happened in their eyes, whether they did or didn't, perception is reality. So we then, first of all, apologise for the experience because mm-hmm. that is not, and that's a genuine experience, apology because we don't want them to have a bad experience. Yeah. We find out about the problem and we fix it. So we say to them, here is a free card, we will fix it, and we go back to the store on every single complaint, even today, mm-hmm. and we get back to people within 24 hours. Yeah. And so we, we fix it and we say to them, please invite them to re, re-complain. Please, here is a free card, go back. If it's the same experience or not better, mm-hmm. let us know and we will we'll escalate it. So, 
So what it did was it enabled our customers to be our mystery shoppers because, you know, when what one of my concerns was that I can control a small number of stores in the customer experience, but how can I control 200-odd stores? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it makes it really difficult. So by really encouraging people to give feedback, positive and negative, mm-hmm. enabled us to continue to get better. And there's no surprise if one store suddenly gets 10 complaints, look, there's a problem with that store. Mm-hmm. So it enables us to go and fix things quite quickly. So, look... You will mostly have a great experience at Boost, you know, but hey, we're talking humans. It won't always be. But when you don't get a good experience, I want to fix it. And it's that just care factor to really get it right has kept Boost where it is today. I love that. I love how you actually see it as the feedback from the customer. Your priority is to be able to to be able to turn them back into a raving fan again. And um, you know, one of the things that you ladies probably remember me teaching is that when a customer actually gives you uh, a complaint or feedback, I like to say. They're the ones that actually will give you the feedback. They're actually helping you, helping your business grow because really there's a study and it's one out of 26 people that actually complain are representing the 25 people that don't complain and give you feedback. So when a customer ever gives you feedback, you should be jumping for joy that that customer has actually given that feedback to you because they're the ones actually helping your business grow. So I, I love that actual way that you guys do it. Like it's, it's, a, it's a sincere apology and it's been able to fix it. And obviously, sometimes we might have customers that might always be customers that complain, but then there's sometimes customers that really are giving those feedbacks to really help you actually increase that ability of customer service or wherever that area is. And also, it's an appreciation of their time. I mean, someone has sat down, whether they've done it angrily or whatever, they've given you 15 minutes of their time or 10 minutes or even five seconds of their time Mm -hmm. to give you feedback. So hence why, I don't care what the feedback is, I will send them a free card to say thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for taking the time to improve my business. The day that you sit down and go, oh my God, that's just bullshit. That didn't happen. I was there, is the day that you need to look at yourself and your customer service. Like, because you need you need to embrace all feedback. And then sometimes it is confronting. Sometimes you do go, hang on, that's not right. But you know what? It's um, appreciate them doing it. And you know what? Sometimes it may not be just, and but who cares? It's their perception and that person's going to go and tell 10 people they're going to blog it or they're going to send it on email or or do a video tube on it and yeah. good luck with that. I love it. Love that, that mindset. Now, you have extraordinary training within your business. You have to because your business cannot be as successful if it doesn't have systems and processes and a high amount of training. So what do you do when you actually crew? Because you, your, your actual team members, they're quite young, what I notice. So what do you do to actually bring them on board? And what training do they actually go through to be able to take on the ethos that you actually have and put within that business? Look, we've got a... There's, there's an induction that everyone goes through because it's really important. I think if they work for the business, they should need to understand the philosophies and the and the, the values of the business. And, you know, if, and if they don't share those values, they're, they're probably in the wrong business. So... Yeah, it's important we go through an induction. So there's a standard induction that we go through. The other one is sort of, you know, we do buddy systems, um, you know, but it's really ensuring you're hiring the right people in the first place. The, you know, there's different departments have different training programs. Um, Like if you're in, you know, we actually have a training department and, you know, but what we found was, you know, we had a team of something like 15 people who were in training department, but what we found was that 
unless you work in the store all the time, you really don't get the feel. You can get the mechanics of it and, you know, you get the manual and you tick a box as you sort of train. But what we found was that we found our best managers or our best franchisees in the system and actually got them to train. So because then they live it every single day. Yeah. So we found, that they, we found that the training was more efficient, more thorough, and the success, the early success of those franchisees that were trained by those franchisees were actually, you know, as good as it get. And those franchisees obviously went through a train-the-trainer program with us, so, that, so everyone's being trained the same way. But it was, um, it was a, proved to be very, very successful. So... Um, You've got different teams, obviously. Like, we're in the headquarters today, guys, and um, it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. We're in, I don't know if you can see, but we've got the retail zoo behind us, um, which I'd love to know more about that. But firstly, we've got, we haven't just got the people that you see in the forefront in the shops, and yes, they're the ones face-to-face with the customers, but what's also making your team is this leadership team and everyone in the back end of the business. So tell me about that, because I've worked with uh, Sanity Music, Dusk, Bras and Things, and we do a whole heap of leadership training for the people that are behind the scenes because they're the ones also, as that support system really makes stuff happen as well. So how do you run the ship here with your leadership team and all the back end? Look, at the end of the day, it's getting the, the right people in the right roles. I know there's a book called Good to Great, and he talks about you know getting getting people on the right bus before you even start the engine, and, and we very much believe in that. you know. And and if they're the wrong people, then it, it's fixed pretty quickly because you know at the moment it's it's you know it's a great dynamic high performance team so you know and so you know and you have we've had times when you know you get that bad apple and suddenly there's a whispering in the kitchen or the you know that crappy shitty stuff that happens in in some businesses so you're know, happy to say that you know the, the business here is is you know everyone's sort of more supportive and it, it is a real team sort of environment um the other thing that we try and instill in this area is that we are a support mechanism. You know, the real important people are the ones that deal with our customers. So we need to be supportive of them so they can achieve their goal, which is giving that greater customer experience or creating that great product for them to consume. So, you know, and sometimes people here can get caught up into these four walls. So, you know, it's you know, Christmas time, everyone works in store. Um, you know, the people have to do certain times in store. So they actually appreciate, you know, there is rules that you can't call people at certain times. And, you know, it's that if, if someone calls you from the store, that that's return, that is a priority call. So it's just trying to also instill the culture of we are a support mechanism for those stores because without the stores, we don't exist. When I flew in today to Melbourne, actually what I do love about Juice, let me start with this, what I do absolutely love about Juice is that it's a healthy alternative for immediate food. So this morning I get to the airport 7.30, haven't had breakfast. The first thing I do is, and not because I'm interviewing you today, it was because I needed something fast and I needed something that I love having, which is smoothies. <laughs> what I noticed is that you have so many other things now. It's not just smoothies. There's other um, extensions of the business. And I'd love to know that... Was it a move, strategic move to be able to help sort of the, the, the profit side of things? Was it because we wanted to get a different demographic of people? What sort of made you expand your range of food? Look, 
the airport, which I'm assuming you're talking about, is a very unique beast. I mean, most of our stores don't have the sandwiches or the the, the food that the airport does. Right. It's sort of a need basis in that area. So, but it has to go under the philosophy. You know, certainly, the yogurts we have in stores. We, but it's it's what you're talking about is probably affects probably three stores in the whole of Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying that though. You have to continue to innovate and you have to continue to try things in store to see what kicks. You know, we've tried everything from um, corn to potatoes to, you know, different things and trialling. At the moment, we're actually not trialling. I'm very excited about the new range that we're creating, which is a green range. And they're all green juices and all green smoothies. So just sort of to really sort of because we've we've got we've had green before, but you know we've we've got the the yellows, we've got the reds, and really for a full diet and a full healthy component, mm-hmm. you need to have all the colours. So um, and they taste great. So at the end of the day, we do research all the time, and you know people of course have a smoothie and juice because it's healthy. But the number one reason they come to us is taste. At the end of the day, if it was the most healthiest thing on the planet and you knew you'd give 10 more years of your life and it tastes terrible, we wouldn't have it, right? We just wouldn't. So everything we do has to taste fantastic. And you know what? It's not that hard. Fresh actually tastes great. And what you'd find is the more you taste fresh, the more obvious the alternative is that doesn't taste great. And I must admit, if I miss a juice a day, then I feel it. So I may, and also my diet might be terrible all day, or I skip meals or whatever because of life and you know needy children etc. But I will never miss a juice or a smoothie every day, yeah. and even my smoothies. I have them in the morning, and I just throw extra things in them, whatever's in the cupboard. There might be flaxseed oil, there might be chia, there might be you know, all of this stuff, and I throw it in. And also I do that for my kids too. So in the morning, here is your smoothie. Go out the door. You haven't had breakfast. That's okay because you've, got, you've, you've had yeah. a great start to the day. So And, you know, there's a banana in there, and I know they've got the potassium, they've got the vitamins, they've got the minerals. And I think that's one of the things that drives me mad about some of the perceptions out there on food mm-hmm. and I'm not talking just smoothies and juices I think talking food in general mm-hmm. is that people go they're so caught up on calories and energy and all that sort of stuff they don't actually look at the what makes things like for example the body will consume and use every part of a, a healthy salad or a healthy smoothie or juice. It doesn't matter what the calorie content or the energy content is because it goes, okay, well, that's great, that's vitamin D, that's E, and we'll use it, and we need energy. So without energy, we die anyway. So when people choose and they try and compare, like we're comparing this with a Mars bar or a McDonald's or a Coca-Cola or a soft drink or whatever they compare it against, they're not... We don't even look at that really or put much emphasis on the energy content. We, we put it on the nutritional content yeah. because at the end of the day, if you consume all natural food, mm-hmm. and um, again, not just pushing smooth and juicy, but all natural food, mm-hmm. your skin will glow, your hair will be beautiful, you will be healthy, you'll live long. Yeah. Like if you then say, if you just consume, if you're just focusing on the calorie content, Sure, you can live on chips and crackers, and mm-hmm. but you won't be getting the range of vitamins and minerals you need to live a healthy, long life. So it's it's one of those things that does get frustrating, and that's completely off band from your question. But um, yeah, it's one of the, yeah, it's one of those things that is probably the biggest frustration when sometimes the media gets and they want a headline. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much sugar in juices. Well, the sugar comes from the carrots. Sorry, carrots have sugar. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, it's amazing. We've got, um, uh, we have Emma Sutherland who is from Eat Yourself Sexy and she's going to be on um, the series as well. And she's actually my naturopath. And I was like, we're going to interview you. We're going to get you on here because it's so true. The education these days for nutrition is, and even the diet food, people see diet food. And if you actually look, girls, look at the back of a packet of, let's just say, let's just say if it's even a yogurt. If you look at a diet yogurt to a normal yogurt, the diet yogurt actually has more sugar in it. And you think to yourself, and it's, it's, and it's not actually um, healthy sugar like uh, your fruit. It's something that's normally been added, like some type of synthetic as well. Yeah, so um, it's really get like eating natural is absolutely 100% the way to go. So uh, keep your eye out for Emma Sutherland as well. So I would love to find out about how you actually grew the business now. Oh, there's a company called MBE. They actually help um, a lot of my type of clients grow their business, get capital. There's lots of fears that happen, though, because for billionaire babes, just so you know, we have clients that are just creating their business. They're women that are like at the start within that six months. And then we've got women that have been around for years and they're legends within themselves and they're wanting to expand and take it to the next level and it's needing that capital. Some of the biggest objections I hear is that they're scared of giving a piece of the pie away, they're scared of losing control. So what's your experience about expansion? Because I know that um, you expanded over to the UK first, is that right? Was it UK where you went first? Oh, Chile. Okay, so tell me all about that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, probably going back to what you were saying about some of the challenges that happens in people's uh, career path, mm-hmm. um, I very much see growing a business and some of the challenges that you were mentioning as like raising children. Like at different ages, the, the child or the business needs different needs and different mm-hmm. focuses. What you do find is, and this is where a lot of people get caught up, is the business is is growing, so it's hungry for cash. Uh, you haven't really got the profit to be able to hire enough people to do the growth, mm-hmm. but without the people, you won't do the growth. So it's really, you get very much into a catch-22 where you really have to invest in. So you do need that extra capital. I have to say that with Boost, um, I started as a percentage with 24% uh, because it was we were going that real e-myth scenario where, you know, get other, you know do the work, do the sweat, da-da-da. Um, I've had as much as um, 75 80% of the business, and it's gone up and down because of the journey. I have never, ever been caught up in the percentage I've owned in the business, right. ever. Because for me, without getting capital in the business mm-hmm. and sharing the risk and the return the business wouldn't be where it is today. But what I am very careful about is control. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things I learned is people go, oh my God, I need 51% of the business or I don't have control. Fallacy. That's not even true. The reality is it's your shareholders agreement. You you should have, if you are looking at getting an investor in the business, that's fine, you can. But if he's a smart investor, he could buy 5% of your business and control it if it says so in the shareholders' agreement. So it has no relevance whether you own 5%, 10%, 50%, 90%. All that matters is what the shareholders' agreement says. So if you aren't a high-detail person, all I suggest is that if the one thing that you should be detailed on is that document Mm -hmm. and understand the rights of that area. So don't get hung up on... 
Because I'd much rather a $200 million business and having 30% of that than a $5 million business and having 100% of it. Mm -hmm. So I think without that view of that bigger picture view, Mm -hmm. you will always have a smaller smaller business. I love that mindset. So how was it when you actually grew? How do you actually get your franchisees on board and how did you actually start in the other countries and get outside of Australia? Look, it came with just doing what we did well. You know, we, we created a business that was sexy, that was um, in a hot category, mm-hmm. and that sexy was... Sexy and hot. Ooh. I know. God, oh, had that happen for an over 40-year-old. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, but so it had the appeal. And so then basically, build it, they will come. You know, we, we had at one point 300 people on a waiting list. Uh, we at out of everyone who applied for the business, only 7% were successful. So we were able to ensure that the quality of the the people in the stores were at the absolute best of the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And so consequently, then that in turn just increased the the excitement of the business and just increased the, the type of business. And it just kind of just keeps snowballing from there. But the reason we attracted those people is because we did what we did well. And if you do that well, the rest will follow because there's a lot of people out there with a curious mind to go, I'm looking for something, I want something different. They go and have an experience at Boost and they go, wow, I want to own that. Mm. And it just comes from there. So you now have another venture. You have Salsa. Mm -hmm. So... And if I've read right, you went from four stores to 24 stores in two years. Is that correct? Was Were you able to grow it so fast because you've had the foundation or the training and the learnings from Boost or is it a completely different kettle of fish? No, look, the fundamentals of any business, whether you're, you're selling rocks or you're selling oil or you're selling juices, are the fundamentals are the same. You know, you have to have a really strong foundation. The reason we went into Solstice and now we've got Chibo, which is a, a great Italian coffee concept, is that... It is everyone's job, anyone who's out there in business, your job is to grow your business. Not just necessarily grow in numbers or staff, but grow in profit. Mm -hmm. And so it is our job as business people to look at ways of growing our business because a business is is an organism and it will go one or two ways. It will go forward or go backwards. It won't ever stay the same. And if you say to yourself, you know what, I kind of like this business, I just want it to be this big, well, it will go backwards because the the it just seems to be that it has to grow. So we constantly as a board go, where is the next growth? An international what is growth profile that we're doing and, you know, we're nearly, we're going coming up to 100 stores this year, you know, overseas outside of Australia. But we looked in the Australian market and we said, okay, we have cracked the code here with regard to the systems and processes and, and the foundation. And really we actually sat down and we thought, we always thought we were a really strong marketing company, a brand building company. But what we found is, because I'm such a control freak, is that we had a great foundation to be able to then take other brands and then grow them. Mm-hmm. So Solstice came on board, which was a fantastic learning curve for us because it was one of those businesses that you know had a lot of you know had the founder involved. He was fantastic, and but it had a lot of um, it was a bit clunk, clunky in its systems and processes. That took us a little while. Quite often, you find is when you take a business, it goes backwards and then goes forwards. So it did a little bit of the okay, now we're right. So and we took a lot of lessons from that, and you know, and now it's a, a fantastic, successful business. I think we're up to thirty six stores, and you know, we'll be at the end of the, the end of this year. We should be over. 50. Um, 
but we've taken that knowledge also from salsas and taken into Chibo, which is our new concept that we've taken on board. Again, you know, fantastic, passionate founders of the business to then be able to then grow that from, I think they're currently at about 25 stores and we'll take that to, you know, probably 250 in the next five to 10 years. So it is a, it, 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 but we do have the foundations in the business to be able to have, it's like building a house. You know, if you build a house on a cracked foundation or, or poor people or poor systems, it will be a house that cards will fall down. So we have got that foundation and even though we'll get a few things Gee. wrong. And I remember him talking about the different stages of the business that it goes through and to really be that leader of the market, it's always um, been innovative and how can you continually add value? Um, he did actually mention that if he was to take over businesses, that he doesn't do much change in the first six months. Um, he does a lot of internal work with the staff and gets a lot of internal issues working first. Now, you've just said that you overtook some of Salsa and then you guys took it to a brand new level. So what would be your advice if there's business owners thinking, you know what, we, we want to expand or we want to um, merge with another company or we're looking at actually purchasing just a brand new company because it's about to close down and we think it's a great brand. What would be some of your advice for them? I think um, also in that category is if you become a CEO or a, of a new company uh, or a, a, a take a senior role in a new company or you acquire another business. I think the Anthony Robbins advice is very solid. I think that before you can change, you need to understand. And people underestimate the ability to hear and listen. And so I think going into any of those markets is just be patient, just learn and listen first because there'll be there'll be some absolute gems and some great things people are doing. And how do you grow on that? Just because you've done something in a different place doesn't mean that, that that's a cookie cutter and you can come and make that work there. Yeah. So you understand because in extra fact, they're not machines, they're people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even when you look at your higher roles, I mean, we might have a a CFO, but that CFO has has abilities for in other areas. So we will tailor-made that job mm -hmm. to suit his strengths. And same with everyone in here. So you might have people who are in certain roles which are doing things that are not traditionally from that role because you tweak it for that person. So but you don't know that until you get in and discover it and work out why it's worked because you've obviously chosen that business because of the type of business it is or you've acquired that business because of its strengths. So find out what they are mm -hmm. and how collectively you can actually go forward because nothing is worse than if you have a new team and you're going, right, we're going forward, but there's no buy-in. Yeah. They'll just go, no, we will make sure that doesn't work no matter what we do because, again, it's execution. Yeah. Let's talk about some personal stuff if we can. <laughs> um, how did you go with with the growth personally? What were sort of the highs and lows that you sort of went through and times when you felt like maybe you just wanted to give up or maybe the goal was just too big or let's just go through some of that time. So take us back. Yeah, sure. Look, I think the end of the day is, as, as I said at the start of the interview, is that there's no question that people think that it's an easier thing to do than, than what the reality is. I know I had no idea what was involved with creating it. And obviously taking a business, really, we were from an idea to 120 stores in four years. That's an incredible growth by any stretch of the imagination, considering the team was like me and someone else. I don't know who it was, but it's a very small team. And, and, and also, you've got to remember that in those four years, that those people in that team didn't have much experience. Like, for the first two years, there was three employees. So, yeah, so, so you... 
So in actual fact, in one respect, it wasn't a committee. So things weren't done by committees, which is great. It was it was done with one vision uh, moving forward and really just, you know, I became an Excel queen, you know. Okay, that went wrong. Okay, what system do I need to put in place to do it right there? Okay, <laughs> that's not working, so how can I create that? Like, you know, the, the um, taskmaster on Outlook was my friend. You know, I had about 400 tasks out, just more, not so much delegating, which some were, but it was more just so I could keep control of this moving beast that was growing so quickly. Um, there was times in our our journey that we didn't count how many stores we had to open because it seemed like such an enormous amount of stores we had to open. We just had to take it back and go, what do we need to do today to achieve that store opening in six months' time? So it was, it was you know, we just sort of pulled it all apart, kept it simple, kept, you know, kept relatively calm, you know, and just continue to hire great people. And that was the thing. But me personally, sure, there was times where I went, oh, my God, if any day they'll catch out, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? I have no idea. And, you know, there was times when, you know what, I just, I did a lot of listening. Like, I um, hated paying legal fees and I hated paying accounting fees. So I made sure that whenever I was in a meeting with a lawyer or an accountant, and we were in, I was in lots of meetings with lawyers and accountants, I made sure that I understood everything. I was never one of those ones where, look, you're the expert, just tell me what to do and we'll go forward. I was the, I need to understand oh, that's everything. Yeah. And to a point where I had a document, I would get a legal document, I would read every word, and if I didn't understand it, and there was a lot I didn't understand, I would just put a cross or a circle, I'd sit with the lawyer and say, I've got some questions. And I would go through and have clarity on every single document, you know, every yeah. single word in that document. Now, you know, that also puts me in a situation where, not that I didn't need them, but what I found by, by doing that was they got a lot wrong. Mm-hmm. And they had things in there that something that I wouldn't be happy with in the future mm-hmm. or something that could bite me in the business bum on the, in the business because they didn't know my business like I did. Even though they know the legal jargon or they might do something like that for other clients, I didn't want it for me. So I really took responsibility and accountability for everything I did, and which put more pressure on myself. But in the long run, you know, the contracts are cleaner and, and they suit my need because I've learnt to leave it with them and find out I have to wear that. They've off to another clients and I'm, I'm wearing the problems that they've done. So, and I didn't go, that's the lawyer's fault. I go, that's my fault for not taking the time and that document to truly understand what it is. Like, even in leasing agreements, like when, you, when I started to get into that area, there's something called permitted use. Now, you know, the lawyers just put it in and they just think it's fine because they've got 10 other contracts to do. But I'd spend a lot of time on the permitted use because I knew in the future if I want to innovate a new product, if I haven't got that on my lease, I can't put it in there. And what does that mean? Permitted use, like say if I have a store at um, Miranda, mm-hmm. um, in, there's a section in the leasing agreement that says what I can sell, Right. And I would like to just say food because it would cover everything. But you have to actually specifically say what you can sell. Now, in there, if I say I want to then start doing uh, cane sugar, right? Now, unless it's sort of specifically in there, I can't put that in my store. So it's just those little things that you need to, you know, people go, oh, my rent's only 50000 Well, did you see what your increases are every year? Have you looked at that? Have you considered that? Like, so there was every part of every document I took accountable for. So, you know... So I suppose in many ways, I'm sure the early days I thought I was this, you know, dumb woman who was just asking all these questions, but I didn't care because I felt very responsible not only for 
the journey I was taking, the employees I had, but also my shareholders. Like I was, when Jeff Harris came on board, it was sort of like, it was really good for me because I was responsible for him. And I took the fact that he invested money into my business really seriously. And I would have been mortified if he had lost his dollars. Um, and so that sort of was a motivation for me as well. So, but, you know, there was absolutely times I got it wrong. There was absolutely times that I questioned my ability. There was absolutely times that I just got quietly in a corner and went, this is too much. I love that you um, were happy to speak up because it's, if, if you look at, I teach like behaviour styles and there's a 68% of, a behave, of the four behaviour styles would not actually speak up, would not actually say anything. And one of the one of the keys to what I personally think to business success, to sales success, to communication is actually self-esteem. And I think for you, you'd have to have incredibly high self-esteem to be able to sit there in front of lawyers and accountants and totally just know your worth and just you're, you're 100% backing yourself to be able to question them against... Um, you know, just different files that they're bringing out for you to go over different contracts. Mm-hmm. For you actually be able to speak up, that is actually huge, really, because so many women probably would not do that. They'd sit there and, like you're saying, no, you're the expert. And not just women, actually. It's it's a strong behaviour style that's out there that is just happy to accept and just trust and not want to create any conflict. So I love that you actually, you've taught that because that's just a huge lesson just for me sitting here myself hearing that. Yeah, I think it's accountability. It's um, If I turn around with everything I do and say, it is my fault what I do, well, then if I'm accountable for it, then I should be accountable for it. And look, at the end of the day, if I thought, well, if I think I'm stupid, I don't care, I'm paying your bills. So, you know, I'm going to be accountable for that. So I thought, I thought it was um, important. And what I hated also in people, and I think quite often you learn more for what you don't like than what you do like. And I really, really hated if someone, I hate two things. First of all, if someone came into my office and we had a meeting and they didn't take notes, because I think either they've got this incredible ability to remember everything, or I just sit there and go, they're not going to do that. They're not going to remember it. <laughs> and they probably have good memory. But I just think, no, take notes. Because I will go into a meeting. If I've, if I've gone to see someone and, I've, and I'm using their time and they're kind enough to mentor me, I will get my notebook out and then just scribble like mad. And then I'll take that back and I'll sort of devour it. But what I really hate is people going, do you understand they do this? And they walk out and they go, I didn't want you to feel stupid. I have no idea what I need to do, right? And that's not an uncommon thing that happens. And you sort of look at people and they're going like this and you go, nah, you don't, you're, not, you're not getting it. So I think it's that confidence to just go, look, I'm really sorry. Can you please explain it again? And I'd rather that 10 times over. And people, successful people like that. I mean, the amount of times I said to a lawyer or an accountant or another professional person, look, I'd say, stop. Let me explain it back to you in how I understand it and tell me if it's right or not. And that is the perfect way to actually do it. Because I have a different yeah. brain that sort of processes things differently than they do and they'll go yeah okay yeah yeah that's right okay yeah. so and I and I must admit I think the the purpose of our life is to learn and, and a curious mind and and the journey that has been the last 13 years has been a, a, just one big lesson you know, just even repeating it back, that just helps you learn it. Like, it helps you internalise it. Because even when I do training, like, I'll say, okay, now explain to me what I've just told you so I know that you've got it. Because as soon as they explain it, you know that it just internalises straight away. So I would love just to finish this off with two bits of advice. You know now that we've got two different types of business women. We've got the ones that are really just starting and then we've got the ones that are ready to emerge. 
what would be the advice that you would give, some critical advice that you think that startups need to really know? There's a woman going out there, she's got a business idea, she's just created it, she's six months in. I think the key thing for that person there is that just um, whatever you're doing, try to keep it out of your brain and put it into some sort of system. Because what you find is that you won't be able to do it on your own. You will need people in the future. The next advice I would get is success or failure of your business going forward will be who you choose to do the business with. Now, whether that's a partner or an employee, do not persevere. What you will do is, I'm too busy, they do this well enough, I haven't got time... I will just put up with it. You know, I haven't got time to think about re-employing new people because you know, it's just I'm growing this business and taking all my time. Do it. Because if you have mediocrity in your business, that is what your business will be. Um, I actually remember Brian Tracy. You heard of Brian Tracy? He, I remember one. I don't know where. He, yeah, he's um, old, old sales, but he's very, he's very good. My background in trainings come from him, um, and he's one of his philosophies is high, slow, fire, fast. Yeah. And it, I do see it today still that people do hire quite quickly, and then they keep taking the mistakes and the the problematic stuff and the ones that. Pardon? Or they hire themselves, which is not understanding that everything needs a team. Like, you know, go, I want someone vivacious like me that wants to go get it. No, 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 you need a person who is high detailed. (laughs) Yeah, correct. So you were going to say the second thing. Look, the second thing, which is that that second person who has already established their business, Mm -hmm. they've got four or five people working for them, they're sort of in that area where they're, they're sort of tossing between, trying to evolve, but haven't really got the money for it. I think at the end of the day, you've got to bite the bullet and, you know, keep keep investing into the future of the business. Um, when they're, and if you are looking at taking a partner, you know, make sure that everything is always in writing. Make sure you understand your shareholders' agreement 100, 100 million percent because, you know what, you don't know what's going to happen going forward. You don't know how that relationship's going. So, you know, it's really important that you can, can keep control but don't get caught up on the percentages because uh, an undercapitalised an undercapitalized business is a business that can't grow. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, Janine, thank you so much for today. It's an absolute pleasure being here and um, being in the office. Oh, one more thing. What's Retail Zoo? How did that oh, came about, name come about? Look, at the end of the day, we, you know, Boost is, is a very dominant brand in Australia. And we, when we sat down and we did our strategy on how are we going to grow, we had a business called Big, Big Investment, Boost Investment Group. And we sort of sat down and went, look, the biggest risk you've got in taking other brands is to become the poor, poor cousin. Yeah, because this is such a big and exciting business. You know, you know, Solstice is that you know, exciting. So, what was really important to us is that they felt like that they were equal. And I think if you always had a name of Boost something, Boost something, we we feel that the other brands coming in wouldn't be equal. They're always under that sort of shadow. Yeah, so we sat down and said, okay, let's have a bit of fun. What do we want? And you know, we sort of think we're all a bit sort of there's a bit of animal in us everywhere. So, <laughs> so we went, okay, let's, let's call it the Retail Zoo, and, and hopefully we can get a whole big brand, bunch of great brands brands and you know go forward and and create something we're all proud of that interview was back from 2013 and what I absolutely loved about Janine was she allowed the time for me to interview her I flew down from Sydney it was for my show called the living legend series you can actually see it on YouTube uh, netty d23 that's n-e-t-t-y d23 and you'll actually see the live footage there (laughs) actually look quite good Uh, probably about a size 10 (laughs) before I had kids. Um, 
And look, I'm not using kids as an excuse, all right? Though, uh, what I want to say is she was so present and never looked at her clock once. There was no question off limits. She was just such a beautiful soul, incredible, intelligent businesswoman. And to be able to give me that opportunity, uh, it will be something that I'll never forget. You're listening to The Herpreneur Show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought, or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you're the happiest person that you know. I'm out.